0: Welcome to the Corporate Treasury 101 podcast. We are joined today by Craig Chapman. He is a senior manager at Actualis Consulting and an expert in treasury systems, transformation, and netting, which is what we break down in this episode. This one is the first section of the full episode that we published last week. It is a smaller format in case you would like to learn about netting step by step, but in case you want to listen to the full-blown episode, then just head to one episode back. In this episode, expect to learn what is netting, the difference between bilateral and multilateral netting, what is an AP, account payable based netting, versus an AR, account receivable based netting. We actually draw an interesting parallel with three counts or splitwise that you may have heard of or even use. We also make a comparison with cash pooling, since the two techniques with netting are also about centralization. And we go down as far as why companies uh, actually do intercompany transfers and will require netting in the first place. And much more. If you like the episode, please rate us on your favorite podcast app. It helps us a lot, and the podcast as well. And it allows us and I to invite more and more amazing people and guests like Craig And bonus, it makes us very happy, (laughs) so please do not hesitate to go and rate us. In other other news, we published an e-book. If you are dreaming of finding a book explaining the ABCs of corporate treasury, well, do not search anymore. We got you covered. Head to the link in the description to download it, and the best part, it is completely free. With all that being said, let's get on with the show.
1: Craig, welcome to the show. Very nice to have you. How are you doing? Great, thanks for having me. Craig, we wanted to have you on the show uh, to introduce yourself and explain to us what you guys do at Actualize Consulting. So please start with yourself. Uh, Who are you and what do you do?
2: Sure. Uh, My name is Craig Chapman and I'm a senior manager in the treasury and capital markets group at Actualize Consulting. Uh, I specialize mainly in treasury cash management space, which includes in-house banking and multilateral netting structures. Uh, and I've been implementing treasury technology to transform treasury departments for over 20 years now, working for multiple uh, leading treasury management system providers, as well as a big four consulting firm. And now with Actualize for the last six years.
1: Okay, very cool. Now, there's a lot of big words in there. I didn't know what they mean. So <laughs> we'll get into that in a second. But so you mentioned Actualize Consulting. What exactly does Actualize Consulting do and where are they based?
2: Sure, Uh, so Actualize Consulting is a boutique uh, professional services firm, it was founded in 2003. Uh, We provide expertise to a client base of 300 plus Fortune 1000 clients. Um, We have many different service offerings, mainly focusing on the treasury and risk management space. And we offer solutions to streamline and optimize clients operations by redesigning business processes and improving the use of technology. Uh, We're starting to get spread out, and so now Actualize is uh, headquartered in northern Virginia uh, in the U.S., and we have offices in New York, uh, London, Canada, and now Mexico, uh, all staffed and supporting local clients. Uh, Types of treasury consulting work we do would uh, encompass working on uh, treasury operations, risk management, and technology advisory. So in the treasury operation space, we're focusing on liquidity management, payment management, debt and investment structuring, uh, risk management, we might get into hedge strategy advisory or financial exposure management. And then on the technology advisory, we do a lot of things there in terms of analyzing your current state architecture, doing gap analysis, developing treasury roadmaps, doing vendor evaluations, system implementations. And we also have a separate arm that's doing custom reporting uh, in the business intelligence space. So we're kind of uh, over the all, overarching on all Treasury topics.
0: All right, Craig, so it seems that you and Actualized Consulting are actually the perfect people to talk to uh, when it comes to Treasury and the topic we want to discuss today, which is netting. Uh, you mentioned it in the, in the presentation and in the, in the introduction. Can you tell us a little bit of, about that? Uh, first of all, you mentioned netting and multilateral netting. So what are actually the different types of netting and what is that?
2: Yeah, so there are primarily met, uh, three methods of netting. Uh, settlement netting, you, know, you might have heard that uh, are also known as payment netting, so we're just netting payments. Uh, settlement netting, and then by, uh, bilaterally, and then multilateral netting. So settlement netting uh, is basically subsidiaries will aggregate and offset all the amounts it either owes or receives to a particular vendor, and they'll net that difference. Uh, more common for intercompany payments. Uh, it's not so common, but can be done for third party payments. It just makes the cash reconciliation process a lot, uh, difficult, more difficult for them. Uh, bilateral, this is a process that involves two parties. So the supplier and the client, uh, it's the process of aggregating invoices between the parties to one single agreement so that only one net payment stream is made. And this is gonna decrease the number of transactions between the parties and also reduce the cost of accounting activities like bank fees. But the limitation is that is just between two parties. So that's where multilateral netting comes in. So multilateral netting is a settlement mechanism used by companies to pay for goods and services purchased from affiliated companies. And the netting process consolidates intercompany transactions and calculates settlement requires internally instead of making all those external payments. So, at the end of the month, they're either going to pay or receive a single payment in their base currency. So, it's a much more efficient uh, process.
0: So, that's very clear. The netting, then, if our understanding is correct, is instead of making multiple payments, either you're in a bilateral setup or multilateral setup or in a settlement setup, you instead of making multiple payments, you make only one, right? You yeah. aggregate the balances consider everything and before initiating a true payment, you make sure, okay, this is the difference to be paid between the supplier, for instance, as you mentioned, and myself, the company. Is that a proper summary?
2: That's correct, yes. And it's more, um, even though it can be third-party suppliers, it's usually just limited to the subsidiaries or what we call a participant. So if you're able to participate in the netting cycle, uh, you would be called a participant. So this is a process where we're going to set up and establish a central entity. That's called the netting center. And that becomes a party to all intercompany transactions with other entities, the participants. And so that uh, eliminates the need for multiple multiple bilateral transactions because the netting center is going to hold all the currency accounts and do all the transfers that are required to satisfy the the netting center uh, activity for the month it's also going to go out and acquire the necessary currency that they uh, that they need to settle those obligations and that uh, eliminates the need for participants or subsidiaries to go out on their own and purchase uh, fx so it's much more centralized Um, once you're an approved participant um, you have to go through a tax and a legal review to see if you're able to participate in the in the actual netting cycle that's one of the first steps that we have to go through. And then during the, uh, the month or another agreed upon uh, cycle duration, all the multilateral payments between participating entities or, or entities are then consolidated and then offset and then reduced to a single transaction to or from each participating entity uh, via accounts that are held at the centralized netting center. And these can be uh, either external accounts or internal accounts. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that as uh, we mm. go further. And then yeah. netting, it's usually processed as a payables based system where the payer inputs the purchase invoices, or it can also be receivable based where the receiver inputs the sales invoices. Most common will be the payables and we'll, we'll drill down a little bit on this as well. Um, so why do corporates implement netting? So it's, it's really uh, a play to reduce the cost of making payments. It also brings structure and discipline to the intercompany process. And then, like I mentioned, netting can also be used to settle third-party transactions.
0: Okay. So you have, uh, just, just for me to, to make sure we are 100% clear, you have three entities, for instance. Entity A, which will be the netting setter, right? And then entity B and C and all the others. Entity B and C will have invoices between each other, but also with between B and A and C and A. All this happens throughout the months, but instead of sending payments and transactions for all those invoices, for instance, there will be only one, which is the netted one, towards A or from A to the other entities. And that's also the case for the transactions between entity B and C, which means B and C will actually never transact and they will only send and interact with A, or is that how it works?
2: They will not interact directly. It'll only be through the course of um, settling invoices. So Mm -hmm. these invoices can be in multiple currencies, and at the end of the month, it's going to be reduced and converted or triangulated back to the base currency. So if I'm a euro denominated entity, I could have 10 transactions with 10 different affiliates in 10 different currencies. But at the end of the day, everything's going to go back between me and the netting center for an euro equivalent uh, payment to settle those invoices. Okay. Okay. And then there's a there's a concept of managing disputes. So if you see an invoice on your statement, um, you would uh, manage that dispute between the two affiliates. Like, hey, I paid you that, or hey, I didn't pay you that, or that's mm-hmm. invalid, or that's overcharged. And you usually leave it up to the participants to, to fix that.
0: Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, you, you explained it perfectly. Awesome, uh, I think I saw Hussein raising his hands. <laughs>
1: Yeah, uh, I I had a question. Um, so uh, the 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 easiest way I can uh, I can uh, equate this to something uh, in my life is: uh, Have you heard about the app Tree Count or Splitwise? <laughs>
0: oh, excellent! No, I have
1: not. No. So so it's like when you go on a trip with your friends, right? Everyone, if, say I buy dinner one night and Guillaume buys dinner another night, and then someone buys, gets a taxi, and someone gets this, you know. Um, and then instead of everyone keeping checks and balances, we just put everything into one account. And at the end of the trip, you kind of just say, "Okay, what the who owes what to how much," and it kind of uh, just balances there, everyone out. And then you make one transaction instead. Of, so is that is that the equivalent, basically?
2: Uh, it's similar, uh, but you're likely all in one currency unless you're traveling throughout yeah. the world.
1: <laughs> yeah, actually, um, so indeed, uh, was- you might be traveling to somewhere else and then but you're all like like for example I, it happened with me and guillaume actually we went on a trip and uh i can't remember where we went we were working a different currency to euros so i remember that Scotland. and then we had to yeah it was oh, when we were in the uk indeed and uh, we were in pounds and euros and it was mm-hmm. a bit you know a bit complicated yeah. and we just had this one app where okay so that's the basic equivalent i i can draw i have another question and um, we've done an episode in the past about cash pooling. So our 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 uh, listeners are very well uh, understand that very well. We even talked about how Bitcoin can be used for cash pooling in one of our episodes. And right. um, so we know cash pooling very well. What's the difference between this and cash pooling? I feel like there's a subtle difference I'm not getting.
2: Yeah, uh, cash pooling is really the precursor to an in-house bank where you're just tracking um, we we'll call them ZBA movements for lack of a better book transfers. So think of cash pooling as just managing a checkbook. So opening position, receipts, disbursements, ending position, and then with the in-house bank layered on a cash pool arrangement, then you could charge or pay interest optionally where netting is just trying to satisfy all this intercompany churn. One of the companies I'm going to talk about has 90,000 invoices per month, all in 17 different currencies with 50 different participants so it's a much more um dynamic environment than cash pooling. cash pooling is usually between the subsidiary and the parent uh, account or the parent company where i'm just lending and borrowing based on my position uh with the with the overall company this is more to get better visit visibility on the intercompany and handle the FX exposures and balances uh, you're trying to lower your costs, you're trying to reduce the number of funding requests, minimize the cross-border transfer. So there's a lot more at play or a mo- lot more objectives of putting in a, a netting
0: program. And if I, if I may add something to that, Craig, but correct me if I'm wrong, uh, also one of the key differences is Except if you're in a notional pooling structure, but let's keep it simple right now and let's just talk about ZBS or zero balance account. You have a physical transfer of cash every day, if not every week whatsoever, but usually it's every day at the end of the day in a cash pooling. And you physically, between brackets, move the cash at least from one account to another. And the whole purpose of netting is actually not to move too much cash and only once a month for the aggregated balances. But indeed, with the entity A and the netting setter being linked to all the other entities and the other entities not being linked to each other in terms of physical transfers, the the parallel is interesting. Yeah,
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. So the ZBA is typically triggered by the bank uh, at the end of the day, unless you're Mm going to calculate it and initiate it yourself, which uh, quite a few clients do that
0: as well. But yeah, that was a good summary. Thank you. Awesome. Um, Craig, so can you quickly walk us through what are the primary benefits of multilateral netting? Let's maybe focus on this one. Yeah,
2: and we'll get some more details around this. But the primary benefits would be uh, netting organizes and streamlines the settlement of the intercompany payments. So instead Mm -hmm. of that 90,000 churn I was talking about, we're going to reduce that down to a single payment per, or a single receipt or payment per participant. Um, And it definitely gives you better visibility into the intercompany FX exposures and cash balances. So part of the netting, uh, if you're a corporate part of your netting, uh, requirements or obligation is to settle all that different currency. So this gives you laser visibility as to what that exposure is, as opposed to having everyone doing their own thing. It's a much more controlled, um, and then the primary, you know, another primary benefit is just lowering those transaction costs, reduce those number of payments, reduce those funding requests and manual wire. So you're optimizing your operation as well. And then anytime you minimize cross-border transfers, you're also uh, minimizing risk. Uh, those are the riskiest types of transfers. So if I have less cross-border, I'm in a better position from a risk standpoint. And then I also reduce my tax treatment, so internal and external audit, uh, compliance risk, and improving auto, uh, accounting's ability to clearly reconcile at the end of the month. And then finally, it's going to significantly reduce that, that physical intercompany uh, settlement or churn, if you will, uh, in between the, the, the subsidiaries.
0: No. Okay, super clear, thank you. And you mentioned you mentioned quite sometimes the the importance of the currency. So- you have a multilateral netting between different entities what about those currencies are they actually so when you make one payments do you always make this payment in the same currency or do you make sure to actually settle the invoices in each currency as well and if, if, if in the first setup do you apply an fx rate then uh, where is it defined how does it work here
2: okay so the um, when you establish your netting center you're going to establish a, a location, a physical location for that. And we'll talk a bit about that as well. But you'll settle a, a physical location and you'll establish a base currency for the whole program, either Euro, USD, GBP, depending on the makeup of your company. And then when you set up a participant, there's two critical things you have to decide. Are you gonna settle physically or are you gonna settle uh, internally? And then each entity is going to have a single currency. So we'll call it their functional currency. All activity or payments or settlements will be of that currency. And then on a a monthly basis, you're going to put in uh, FX rates. And what it will do is triangulate. So say it's a Euro GBP invoice. It'll triangulate to that base currency and make that, uh, that proper assessment as to what that value of that invoice is. And that would just ru- do a running subtotal of in out or pay me. I paid. Pay me. Pay me. Uh, and then I'll just give you a net number that you settle with the uh, with the center. So there is um, okay. you. when you see a statement. I think it becomes more clear as to how it works. And then I'll uh, I'll walk through like a typical netting cycle.
1: Awesome. Greg, can I ask a much more basic question? Why do companies do intercompany transfers in the first place? Like, that, this becomes so complex? Like, w- in which scenarios are we, um, is one entity paying to another and, and whatnot?
2: Yeah, so they're essentially sharing their resources. So if one entity has excess goods or services or whatever they provide, whatever the company does, They'll transfer that to another entity, and then there's a fee that needs to be paid based on that. So if you think about, uh, I'm going to be talking about a cleaning company, and they might they have 85,000 customers. One entity in the UK could be short, you know, 5,000 cases of a certain product. And another entity could be long of that product, and they could send that across to that UK entity once they send that product they're become uh, they create an obligation for that uk to pay them the equivalent cost of that product basically and it's going to generate an invoice
1: so even like inside the same company you set up different entities if if you exchange goods between inside the same company you need to pay yourself your other partner company entity right
2: yeah that's right because they're all they're all uh, calculating their profit loss separately, it is a consolidated view at the end. But as they're operating throughout the the quarter or the month, uh, they're on separate. Um, I guess if I buy goods, I'm not just going to give it to you for free. Is the best way to look yeah. at it.
1: I, I'm going even more basic than that. Why do companies set up different entities in different uh, in different regions or whatever?
2: It's. Um, usually due to tax and legal and the nature of the business, as opposed to having one large entity, they're gonna carve it up into different buckets. Um, It could also be a product of acquisitions where you just keep grabbing more companies and adding on to it. Um, It's a way of reporting as well for accounting. So I'm working with a a clinic that does uh, dialysis for kidney. Uh, kidney functions. Every single different center is an entity. So that allows them to track everything separately. So it's really just a bucket for tracking tax purposes and uh, financial performance.
1: Okay, so if I can summarize then the, and correct me if I'm wrong. So companies will set up different entities in different regions because different regions have different tax regulations that they need to account for separately. Maybe there's some tax benefits to being separated into smaller companies than being one big company with lots of different branches so typically companies will set up different entities in different regions between those different entities you may have exchange of goods or services even so maybe the ceo of the company sits in one location and all the other ones need to you know pay him for his time or something like that um or accounting sits in one division and then you need to pay for the accounting division Uh, So you need to create invoices between those different entities that you've created in different regions. To do that, there's going to be pluses and minuses throughout your cycle, whatever you define that to be, a day, a week, a month. Um, And then what you do is instead of making every single payment, you just wait until the end of the cycle, do the pluses and minuses, and pay the difference only, right? And that simplifies everything because you'd be working across an exchange. Yeah, the net amount, exactly, netting being the net amount. So, and the reason Mm -hmm. that's beneficial is because there might be like different exchange rates you need to account for. There might be bank transfer fees. Uh, there might be all these other things that are just overall complexity and accounting difficulties, which mean that it's just easier to do it in one go at the end. That is a good summary of everything we've talked about.
2: Yeah, that's right. We're trying to just minimize the impact of these intercompany movements. Uh, mm-hmm. and they're quite significant at, at a lot of companies, just based on what they do. It, it'll vary based on what they do. But once you okay. get to be like a, a global national, it's gonna, it's gonna churn up a lot more because you have that many more entities, that many more co- tax complexities, uh, and that's where you'll really see it with a, a
1: multinational. Very cool, very clear, thank you.